Hey everyone, and welcome to the Masters Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Rob Arnold, and I've spent the last 20 years in the exercise physiology field as a strength coach, personal trainer, wellness manager, health coach, and writer. Each week, I will bring you the latest research on injury prevention, strength and conditioning, nutrition, event preparation, and overall exercise physiology to the over 40 crowd of weekend warriors, seasoned triathletes, stay-at-home parents, and CrossFit athletes. Now, let's get on with this week's show. This week's episode of the Masters Athlete Podcast is sponsored by Simply Faster, the leader in sports technology for athletes. Simply Faster has the world's best solutions for speed, power, endurance, rehabilitation, and recovery. Perfect for the Masters Athlete, Simply Faster distributes the K-Box flywheel system, free lap timing, gym aware, and electrical muscle stimulators to get you ahead of the competition. To get yourself started, just visit simplyfaster.com. Now on with this week's episode. My guest this week is Dr. Kyle Bowling from Kentucky Sports Chiropractic here in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Kyle was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, and he received his bachelor's degree from the University of Louisville, majoring in exercise physiology and sports medicine. While at the University of Louisville, Dr. Bowling competed on the track and field and cross-country teams. And after graduating from UofL, Dr. Bowling received his doctorate degree from the Palmer College of Chiropractic in Florida. Throughout his experience, Dr. Bowling has treated athletes of all levels, ranging from professional runners to the weekend warrior. He also served as the on-site chiropractor for the jockeys at Churchill Downs. His philosophy is to utilize treatment plans founded on science and care for patients compassionately, utilizing a variety of chiropractic, soft tissue mobilization, and rehabilitative techniques, which will eliminate symptoms and improve overall function of the human body. Dr. Bowling also believes strongly in patient education and empowering patients to improve the quality of their lives because patients who know more about their bodies and their conditions can stay healthier. I, for one, am a patient of Dr. Uh, Kyle, and I, he's kept me on the track. He's get, kept me on the, uh, on the road races, and he's allowed me to, um, throughout all of my training, get to the starting line. And that's really the ultimate goal as a master's athlete is to, no matter the injuries, no matter the ailments, to get to the starting line and, and be able to complete your event. And Dr. Kyle's definitely allowed me to do that, so I wanted to touch base with him, uh, share some of his philosophies today, and how he treats the master's athletes that come to see him on a regular basis. Dr. Kyle is also the inventor of the CTM band, which if you're familiar with Voodoo Floss, it's similar except different. And it, it releases knots, trigger points, fascial restriction in the muscles, helps speed up muscle recovery, increases range of motion and circulation, provides active and dynamic warm-up to the muscles and connective tissue, and it uh, is an overall great product. He's the inventor, creator of the product, and you can get more information on the CTM band on the website ctm.band. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Kyle Bowling. All right, I am here with Dr. Kyle, and uh, I want to... uh, touch base with you on a, a, a plethora of things that are going on with the master's athlete. And um, one thing that I've seen from you is that you don't really, um, you don't strictly do chiropractic care. And I like that because there's a lot out there that just that isolate chiropractic care or isolate massage therapy. And you kind of bring it all into, into the full spectrum with chiropractic care, with Graston, with, with uh, the stretching, with dry needling, 
Um, what what got you to do all that? Um, did you see it? Did you see a hole in the market? Did you see a hole in, in what was going on with people that, that they just weren't doing on their own or that the services that were offered? What what? Why did you get into that? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's yeah. an awesome podcast. So I really appreciate it. But um, yeah, so I mean, the the first thing that that got me going on this path of of um, all these different types of treatments is being was being an injured athlete myself and really diving deep into like you know, the, the, what works, what doesn't work, where the, the research has been, what the, what, the, what the evidence has shown as far as being, you know, effective with, with you know, healing from these, these injuries that we get. Um, but as far as the specific chiropractic approach, I mean, I, I'm going to throw my profession under the bus here, but it, it definitely needs to happen. Um, I, I would look at a, a chiropractic clinic that's just adjusting people, I think is a horrible, horrible disservice to um, healthcare in general because, you know, uh, if you look at the, the evidence and science behind what, it, what an adjustment does, it's an important tool, it's a very powerful tool when used in conjunction with many other things. I, I, a lot of times I'll describe it as just one piece of the pie as far as healing goes. You know, uh, an adjustment is great to um, restore some joint mobility decrease nociception, which is pain, increase mechanoreception, which is range of motion, touch, feel, uh, you know, temporarily. But if we're just doing that by itself, it's, it's not going not gonna to do a whole lot. So it's incomplete. You, yeah, definitely. That's, that's a better way to put it, incomplete. But when you mix in, um, you know, a proper evaluation to, to figure out the, the function and mechanics behind where the injury is coming from um, with various types of rehab, potentially referring out to other, other providers, um, but, but yeah, mixing in, you know, stuff like Graston, uh, ART, SFMA, FMS, things like that, I, I think provide that, that full pie approach as far as getting someone better. Now you do a lot with, uh, dry needling. I know you do it on me. Um, how's that, how, what are the results you've seen with that? I, I know that I see good results and the, the initial 24 hours sucks, but I see a lot of results from it. So what, what have you seen from your patients with dry needling? Yeah, so it, needling is is somewhat new, and and you know I talk about evidence and research. There's, there's honestly not a whole lot behind it yet, um, so it's mainly an anecdotal approach. But um, as far as a non relatively non invasive conservative approach, it, it it seems to work really well. And I think it it comes back to, you know, a, a lot of the research that's been done on chronic injuries um, has shown that on a cellular level, the the injured tissue isn't inflamed. It's more uh, Degenerating, that's why we call it more of like a, instead of a tendonitis, a tendinosis. So the treatment uh, methods that almost uh, purposefully irritate the area to stimulate a healing response within the body seems to work well. And that's where, you know, PRP comes from, that's where Graston comes from, and, and that's where needling fix in, uh, fits in. So you're inducing that um, inflammation process in order to bring all the good chemicals in there and help heal the tissue. Exactly, yeah. And that's why, like, if it's a, if it's a fresh you know, Achilles strain or, or calf strain, I don't think it's good to needle because you're wanting to calm it down and, and that's when it truly is inflammatory. But once you get outside of that, that acute phase, that's where you, yeah, you want to irritate it and make it, make it work a little bit to, to heal. And that's why some of the studies on, um, you know, treating something like plantar fasciitis with, with uh, cortisone has shown an increase in plantar fascia tears because of what I just said, you're, you you're trying to correct a degenerative uh, issue with a strong anti-inflammatory, which has been shown to, 
you know, if you do it too much, weaken the tissue and actually cause it to tear. So that's why needling, PRP, Graston, things like that sure. are good for it. Now, for those that, that uh, are naive to needling, what's the difference between needling and acupuncture? Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the easiest explanation is really the only similarity is that they both use needles. Uh, acupuncture is really cool. It's its own type of Eastern medicine that um, you know you you have to go through a lot of training to be able to to provide. Needling is basically trigger point therapy. So what we what we'd normally be doing with our hands or foam roller to try to work out a tight area, you just use needles instead, and and uh, and it can sometimes get a little bit quicker results. Sure. Now, do can the dry needling work well with uh, tendon and ligament damage? Yeah, I, it's. Um, Definitely tendon, ligament. It, it kind of depends on the area of the body. It's, uh, but it, it, you know, a lot of times with a, a ligament issue, which is a, a very avascular type of structure, I've seen it be very hit and miss with needling. I always say let's try it because you know you want to do the non-invasive stuff, conservative stuff before uh, moving into more of the heavy hitters. But uh, it can help for sure. Awesome. Okay. So let's say I am a 50-year-old dad and I work a desk job and I decided I wanted to go balls to the wall and train for a marathon and now I'm hurt. What is, what is the most common ailment you see from 50-year-old guy that has a desk job that hasn't done much for the last 10 years. What is the most common ailment you see that that, that happens? Yeah, so that's uh, a couple a couple of things there. One, what drives me crazy is when this 50-year-old comes in and, and you know has a, a, a you know shoulder injury or knee injury or, or calf injury and they just say, well, I guess I'm getting too old to be doing this stuff. And that's, that's not at all the case. That drives we're, me nuts. We're not too yeah. old until we're in the ground to be exercising. So, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, um, what I see a lot, say it's, uh, someone training for a, a race and they strain their calf a couple weeks into training. They're trying to get back into the type of training they did, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they can still do that. But I just think there's a much bigger acclimation, uh, phase compared to maybe when we were 20, 25, 30, 35, whatever. Um, just because, yeah, as we age, we lose some of that elasticity. So the, the tendons aren't quite as elastic. They can't take quite as much of a, of a beating. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. That just means you have to be a little bit more careful about your pre and, 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 and post uh, routine. So it's a lot of people doing a little bit too much too soon. Um, and, and then they get hurt. So the programming, the, the, the programming that they're following may be faulty. It's not necessarily their body. It's, it's jumping in too fast and they're finding that, you know, hey, I, I was able to train for a 5K in a month when I was 25 years old. You know, I'm following the same program now. Why am I getting hurt? It's the same thing. I didn't get hurt before. But you're saying it's like, you know, it, it takes them a little bit longer to acclimate to the training and they may need to change their warm up a little bit. They may need to cool down a little bit and do this, do some recovery exercise a little bit more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And and we're not talking adding an, an hour into the routine. No one no one has time for that. Right. But just five or ten minutes of a specific functional, uh, you know, warm up and cool down will will go a long way. Combined with just really easing into. So if we're talking five k, you know, I would tell a fifty year old, hey, before you even start thinking about doing speed work, long runs, you know, true workout type stuff, 
take four to six weeks and just get out the door and run for 20 or 30 minutes to, to really rebuild that tendon and muscle strength to, to then be able to withstand that, that training that we want to do. Now, coming from a clinical point of view, what do you see as, as you know, they've started doing something and they, they come in with an ailment? What's the most common ailment that you see out of this population? Uh, most common is, so to your original point with, um, with sitting, you know, all of us have to sit for our jobs. Most of us do. And, you know, you, you hear about, you know, people referring to sitting as the, the new smoking. And that's, that really is accurate in, in some aspects because as we kind of get stuck in that slouch forward, shoulders rolled forward, neck forward type position, um, it get, we get stuck that way. And then once we get up from our desk and get into the gym, um, I mean, within a, a week or two, we're going to, you know, do something to our neck, our, our shoulder, rotator cuff, things like that. So it depends on the type of, work, type of uh, athlete. With runners who are, who are getting back into it, I see a lot of calf strains and hamstring strains. With people that are doing more, you know, CrossFit, upper body in the gym, a lot of, um, you know, bicipital tendon issues, shoulder impingement, things like that, pain on the, the front side of the shoulder. Those are okay. by far the most common. Yeah, a previous episode of mine, I spoke about, you know, when you think about getting started into a routine to get assessed, whether it's an FMS, whether it's an SFMA, or whatever screening that you have done, uh, have some kind of screening. Um, do you provide these type of screenings with your with your services? Yeah, yeah. For um, the, the overall assessment, I'm a big fan of FMS, SFMA. If it's a, if it's a runner or triathlete, you know, we do a lot of gait analysis. And to your point, like, I think that's, that might be the most important aspect of getting started in a training is, is, is having an assessment done to see where those areas are that need work so that you can correct it before it becomes an, an issue. And most of the stuff, it, or as far as the corrections go, are things you can do on your own where you, you, know, you see someone like me or a good PT or whoever wants, and then you get that good prescription of what to be doing on your own, and then you never need to see that provider again if, you're, if you do everything right. So you see somebody coming in and they're like, okay, man, I, my hip, I, I got a desk job and my hips bothering me. I got, I, I turned my ankle, you know, repeatedly when I was younger. So it's causing some ankle mobility issues and possibly knee stability issues for that, for that kind of guy. How long, again, I'm going to say five, uh, he wants to run a 5k. How long would you give him to say to kind of correct things before he can really get out there and start hitting the pavement? I think a, a general rule of thumb, and sometimes it's a little bit sooner than this, sometimes it's a little bit longer, that four to six weeks is when you can get through, because you know, once you start back any activity, activity that you haven't done, like you're gonna hurt every day in a different way and it's gonna be miserable. You gotta get through that um, at first before you can really start getting into that true training that you wanna do. So four to six weeks I think is a good time span to, to really build that base so that you can uh, build on top of that the, the training that we wanna do. Are there any activities that you see that folks uh, are kind of like yellow to red, yellow to red flags where they're they're kind of the mo the more high frequency injury activities and and I don't want to throw CrossFit under the bus right now but you know something along those lines where CrossFit kind of gets a, a negative uh, negative uh, view because a lot of people get injured but you know I think they're doing a lot to change that now. Are there any other activities where someone says, man, I want to, I want to start playing basketball, you know, or, or whatever. Are there any activities that are, that pop up that are seemingly more injurious than, than others? Yeah. I mean, the, the, 
The ones off the top of my head would be running in, in CrossFit, where you're we we jump into a type of scenario where we're trying to go fast, we're trying to get as much done in a short amount of time as possible, and and uh, it's not to throw either of those under the bus, but I think just starting off, you want to focus a lot more on quality over quantity. Do you get to do these movements correctly before you start to do them uh, quickly, and that's where uh, that's where you run into problems. You know, with, with running, the, the big craze was getting into a, a zero drop or low drop shoe, um, you know, the, kind of the barefoot running type stuff. If you're not ready for that or you have, you know, slightly less uh, ankle dorsiflexion, you know, your ankles are a little bit tighter than they need to be, you could really do some long-term damage jumping into a, a, a low low heel drop shoe. And, and same thing with, um, you know, doing a, a crossfit workout. If you're doing a bunch of pushing type exercises and your shoulders are rounded forward from sitting in, at a desk for 10 years, you're going to blow out a rotator cuff pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. But I would never tell anyone not to do those things. It's just, you have to go a little bit slower than you think to work into them so that you can, you know, do it for long periods of time. Yeah. Cause when we're born, I mean, within months of us being born, they slap some shoes on us with, with a high heel on them and automatically start changing our biomechanics and, and shortening our Achilles and, and it, you know, we can't at, at the age of 30, 40, or 50 say, hey, I'm going to throw on a pair of minimalist shoes and start running. Yeah. You know, and do you see, do you see folks still try, trying to do that now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, the barefoot running has, has died down, but so many um, shoes are making models that are, you know, four to six millimeters uh, as far as drop goes between the, the heel and the toe which that's even too much of a drop if you're used to being in, you know, your pair of Nikes or, or whatever. Um, an average pair of Nikes is, I mean, I'm wearing some right now. They're probably, what, like 12? Mm-hmm. 12 millimeters. 10 to 12, yeah. yeah. And and so a lot of people don't realize they're, and, and don't know to pay attention to it. The the you know, If you're trying a new shoe, checking to see where that heel to toe drop is because that can, you know, a difference in 6 millimeters, that this sounds ridiculous, but can make or break, uh, you know, your the year of training. Well, when you're, yeah, when your Achilles and calf is accustomed to a specific length for decades, mm-hmm. you know, then suddenly changing it up and throwing it in, into a, a much longer length, it's going to mess things up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of getting into that lower heel drop shoe because that is more natural and, sure. it, and it forces, um, you know, better foot placement and more efficiency while we're running. But I mean, it's just a, if, if you're not ready for it, it needs to be a very slow and steady process to make you do it uh, correctly. So along those lines, how, how long would you recommend somebody going from like your typical 10 to 12 down to a six, four or six? How, time-wise, how long does that generally take to get accustomed to that? Well, that would, uh, it would definitely def- depend on that initial assessment. So, um, you know, say it's a, a, an ankle dorsiflexion test and we see that the calves aren't nearly ready for for a zero drop or say the hip flexors are tight, that's going to shove them into, you know, heel lift too soon. Um, it really would depend on how far they have to go off of that, uh, that initial assessment. If it's someone like me who has really tight calves and you took me through an ankle dorsiflexion test, you would tell me, Hey, give it six months before getting into it. There's some people that just naturally have really flexible ankles or, or and, and are just in good shape functionally that, uh, I'm not one of them. Yeah. Me, yeah, me either. That's it. I, we prefer them as the chosen ones, but, uh, that, that's someone who can slap on a pair of ultras and, and run, you know, 60 miles a week, just fine, oh, which geez. is awesome. I envy those people. Yeah, me too. I, I've, I've 
broke, torn up my ankles enough to I can't do that stuff. And and I've tried. I've tried to get down to that four to six, and uh, it, it my heels don't like it. And but now that I'm doing masters track, I have to wear those spikes, mm-hmm. and it's actually like a negative drop almost. Where once you slap the spikes on, then your heel drops even more. And so the literally, and, and I know that you're supposed to train, you know, with, with your when you do your time trials and whatnot, but. Literally, the only time I put my spikes on because I know I've got terrible ankles is when I'm at a race. Yeah. Because it, it's just, I know I'm going to react negatively to it, so I just throw them on during my race, get them out of the way, and that's it. And I think that's a smart way to do it because it's, um, you know, it, it, I don't think everyone needs to be in that low heel-toe drop shoe. If, if we're doing a gait analysis on someone and, and we're going through their injury history and you know they've had a bunch of Achilles or plantar fascia type issues and we see that they're heel striking and they haven't had a bunch of impact stress injuries like knee pain, hip pain, stress fractures, things like that, tell them to stay on their heels. Like if you're, if you're cruising, you're doing okay, um, stay on your heels, just make sure you have a shoe to accommodate that, which is the typical 10 to 12 millimeter drop type shoe. So I think you're doing it just right. It's yeah. just, it, you know, it's just tough to get in those spikes because those oh. things it's it's terrible it's yeah. terrible and uh but it, it's working and, and hopefully i only have to do it for another 14 days yeah we're almost there <laughs> we're almost at, we're almost at the finish line so getting to the start line is the hardest part it of really the is it really is so well awesome man is there anything that you want listeners to know about you know starting training at 50 years old um any, any final thoughts on what they need to do to start training, uh, any kind of uh, practitioners that they need to see? I know that you're biased towards, you know, chiropractors, massage therapy, and, and non-invasive treatment, but any kind of practitioners that they need to see in case something comes up, any final thoughts on, on this? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, is don't let anyone tell you not to do it. You know, whether you're 20 or, or 70, like it's, you know, movement is, is good. That's what, you know, movement is life. We're, and, and a lot of studies back that up too is like, you know, people say don't, don't run, don't, don't lift heavy weights because it's bad for your knees, hips, you know, whatever. And that's being disproven left and right. If you're using good mechanics, this stuff is what prolongs those areas. So, yeah, the first thing is, is to say don't, don't let anyone stop you. Um, as far as finding a provider, I do think it's important to find someone who has kind of been in the game themselves at, at, at some point, whether it's, uh, you know, if you're a triathlete, maybe finding a, a team of, of medical practitioners that, that know about triathletes and aren't going to just automatically tell you to stop. Same thing with, uh, with running or CrossFit, lifting, any, any sport, I think it's important to seek out providers who know, know what it's like to be in that training mode to where... You know, if you're going to tell, you can obviously tell I'm a runner because I keep talking about that. But if, if you're going to tell me to stop running, like you better be damn sure that this is an injury that's going to get get a lot worse. If it's something I can train through and maybe lengthen out the healing process a little bit, if I can keep training, I'm going to I'm going to opt for that. I, yeah. I think there's still way too many people that are, uh, you know, telling you, telling you, oh, it, it hurts to your shoulder hurts when you, you lift. You just need to stop lifting. And it's it's. Load of crap, if you ask yeah. me. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree, and that's uh, I, quite honestly, that's one reason why I sought you out a long time ago, as as far as my chiropractor was go, goes, because, like you said, you're in the game. You know, you're a runner, and when I first started seeing you, I was trying to get into marathon running, which was horrible for me because I'm a sprinter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but that's why I keep seeing you because because of that, because you're in the game. You know what I'm going through. You especially with some of my heel issues and calf issues. So, you know, uh, I appreciate I appreciate all that. So. 
Well, thanks for uh, the conversation today. And uh, where can people get a hold of you on uh, online, if, especially if they're in the Louisville market? Uh, in the Louisville market, yeah. I mean, I'm, but my practice is called Kentucky Sports Chiropractic. Um, we're on, the, you know, you can search for us anywhere. Most people schedule through our website, so it's, it's pretty easy to get a hold of us if you need anything. But outside the Louisville area, if there's anything I can do, reach out to, and, and uh, I can maybe help you find someone in your area that, that fits kind of what we're talking about. Awesome. And I, and I totally forgot, and I'd be remiss if I didn't remember the CTM band. Yeah. So real quick, how do people order the CTM band? So, yeah, um, it's a, a new type of uh, myofascial, self-myofascial release device I, I developed and created. Um, it's called the CTM Band. If you want to see more about it, the, the website is ctm.band, um, and you can uh, read all about it there. And, and if you have any questions, reach out anytime. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Awesome.